Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Welcome back to the At Work in America show. We have a great show today, Trish. You are super excited. I can tell already from our brief pre-show interaction, you're fired up for today's show, which is pretty awesome. I am too, actually. But yeah, we're going to have a good conversation today. I, you know what? Hello. And yes, I am excited. This is just, I. you meet those people in your life where you just connect like little magnets. And I feel like um, our guest is a magnet for me. Like anytime I see her, which is not often enough. I feel like I just gravitate right to her. So yes, I'm super and excited. A, and and can I say I love the topic we're doing today, Steve? This is a good one. Yeah, it's a fun topic. We're going to be talking about storytelling uh, for talent management, for recruiting, for brand awareness, and and plenty more uh, before we welcome our guest. Uh, and in fact, Trish, perhaps even you should welcome our guest today. I usually welcome the guest. Maybe, maybe we'll pitch it over to you to welcome the guest, but I will thank our sponsors and our friends at Paychex. Uh, this episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. After years of being stuck in survival mode amidst the global pandemic, HR leaders have been challenged to get back to business, occurring in the era of the dynamic workplace. In the seventh annual Pulse of HR report, you can learn how these leaders are optimizing the work experience, regardless of where work gets done, addressing widening generational gaps, that's a real thing, by the way, and increasing productivity, not just for their employees, but also themselves. And you can visit paychecks.com slash A-W-I-A and check that out today. Great. Well, thank you. And thank you for letting me welcome uh, our guest to the show. Today's guest is actually, as I said, someone who I find just so compelling to speak with and, and spend time around anyway. Um, would like to welcome Elena Valentine from Skill Scout to the show. Um, she actually works with organizations who adopt storytelling for brand awareness, talent management, and more. She is currently the CEO and co-founder of Skill Scout Films, which is a production company that creates compelling films to inspire candidates and employees into action. She's also the co-founder and board president of Mezcla Media Collective, an organization that supports more than 800 plus women of color and non-binary filmmakers in Chicago. Her ultimate goal is to create visual love letters that touch the human spirit and ignite positive change. So Elena, welcome to the show. I am blessed to be here. We are blessed to have you. I think that, you know, it's interesting. We read bios for people all the time. And, you know, when you talk about love letters and storytelling and just helping women of color, women in general and, and non-binary, like you truly embody the type of personality that that means this with every fiber of your being. So we are blessed to have you on the show and can't wait to just talk about what you've been up to and what you're doing with organizations more specifically. Yeah. So it's Skill Scout and you saw this in the bio. We're in the business of winning hearts and jobs change lives. And so the short of it, especially when it comes to the workplace, we're helping people picture themselves in those jobs. We also make commercials, music videos, and commercial ads 
but inevitably we we built this business proudly on the shoulders of talent acquisition and talent management and HR to really tell those stories. And these are really in, in important stories, right? Uh, you know, what we, what we really need to remember in this space is we're asking someone to change their entire life, their family's life, their future, and the stakes are much higher. And so finding a job is a very high consideration decision. And so the more that we can equip candidates, employees to really see themselves in these jobs, to win their hearts, to win their families' hearts, it really makes all the difference. This is not just any standard purchase on Amazon, right? And, and for both of you who probably have kids, right? Like, you know, you're thinking much more about a, a larger package here and a decision like this. So storytelling does that, right? Storytelling moves people to action by moving their hearts first. And that has been a mechanism by which we have been moving people to action since we had fire millennia and millennia and millennia ago. That's so true. Could you maybe just as we get started, first, if I'm listening to the show and I'm not familiar with Skill Scout Films and how this all came to be, can you maybe just give us a couple of minutes of the, kind of the backstory and what really inspired you bringing this forward? Because it's not something that, again, I've worked in HR many years. I, I didn't ever have a resource like what you provide. So, and I know you've been around now for quite a long time. So maybe just the backstory, if you will. Well, I'll do two quick reader's digests because that's important here. Certainly my why in kind of coming into this and my own fascination about jobs uh, and then skill scouts. So actually, this is really interesting. I'll ask you guys, you know, Steve, what did you want to be when you grew up? Think when you were like nine, 10 years old. Can I give you like the every male person who's in this <laughs> totally answer fine, or Steve. the real answer? I wanted to be a, 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 I wanted to be a pitcher for the New York Mets. I still want to be. I'm, I'm. I haven't given up completely on that dream, but it hasn't that was out. that was the that was that was a dream. What about you, Trish? I wanted to be like in the FBI or the DEA or something. I wanted to be an investigator who like handled crime. Ooh! <laughs> so I you went it. into HR. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. It's close. There's investigation but, and crime. So I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, you you, you yes, and you <laughs> built your career really on investigating and asking good questions, haven't you, Trish? Right. right. So I there's know. always a thread. Um, so what's interesting on my desk, I have a photo of my ten-year-old self. Oh, oh my goodness. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for this, but when I think about this photo and I think about what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, at this stage, I remember writing that I wanted to be an oceanographer and I wanted to be an oceanographer like Jacques Cousteau because Jacques Cousteau is the goat of oceanography. I remember writing whole stories about it. I remember reading bios. So I've had a fascination about the world of work and what people have do with their lives for as long as I can remember, right? I was that three-year-old kid that played dress up playing all kinds of roles. I, I had an alter ego named Dr. Dick in all like <laughs> surgical wear, right? Like I had names for all of this. Um, and what I realized as I got older, if, if I could articulate it, was that I, I was fascinated about these jobs because of the people who live them. I was, I was fascinated by their stories. And so that really just always sparked an interest for me. Um, 
And then my first job out of college, I was a labor union organizer. And if there is one thing that I will take away from that experience, which really was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, was really connecting and understanding what work meant to one's identity and what work meant to one's livelihood and and just the myriad of ways in which work showed up in people's lives that sometimes this was beyond a paycheck. It was what this paycheck could allow them to do, uh, could build generational wealth and legacy for their family. I mean, all kinds of things. And so that really has been the foundation in the core for me about what work means and certainly people owning their stories of work. When I think about really the foundation then of Skill Scout in a quick synopsis, my co-founder, Abby, and myself are former design researchers at an organization that was working on a national project with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation aimed to connect young people to employment. These were young people between the ages of 16 to 24 uh, who didn't look it on resumes. Some of them had never left their neighborhoods and they lacked access and exposure to jobs. They were being shut out from the hiring process. And so despite here me knowing that the workplace is filled with opportunities, our hiring processes were not. And, you know, so part of the goal there was to really think about how we can connect these young people to the world of work. And among many things that we kind of discovered and, and understood, a couple things rang true. One, job descriptions don't show what a job is like. Resumes don't depict a candidate's skills. And you cannot be what you cannot see. And what we knew even then, well over a decade ago, is that media is the literacy of the 21st century. And if we're going to YouTube to learn how to braid our hair and get tours of the White House, we're going to YouTube to learn about jobs. I mean, Trish, your kids, going to YouTube, going to TikTok to learn about jobs. And so we knew then that there was something here about what we could do to bring these jobs to life initially just to get young people excited about the world of work and to help them self-screen in or self-screen out of these roles. Because as we know, that that's a big part of it. There's, there's so much that a job post can really do versus helping someone viscerally see and feel what this job is like, especially for a young person. And so that's where it started. That was the spark. You know, inevitably, guys, I, I quit my job for impact. Right. I, I saw social injustice in the world that I thought and believed that story could help with. Um, what we have built today is a production company, again, that has been, you know, really founded and built on the shoulders of this industry to help tell stories of work, to win hearts and to move people to action and to take pride in what they do and who they are and to own their stories. Um, and so it started there and, and we've had, you know, certainly the blessing of working with companies of all times. We proudly built this business on the shoulders of small to mid-sized manufacturers, if you could believe that. So I know my CNC machinists and my tool and die makers very well, uh, hmm. American made, um, but have had the blessing of working with all kinds of, 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 of companies and brands at this point, Nike, McDonald's, Wendy's, Lowe's, AutoZone, PlayStation, and also some of you know the best companies that you've never heard of. Elena, I'm glad you gave that example uh, 
or you mentioned you you really have done a lot of work and have had a lot of success with these small and mid-sized manufacturing companies because one of the questions we think I think about all the time, right? When we've done, I don't know how many shows over the years on talent attraction, employer branding, right? Or, or whatever the, the subtopic is. And I always think, I always ask the same question, like of every guest, like, well, what if I'm not Nike, right? Which has such a compelling and flashy and well-known story. What if I'm, you know, a local manufacturer of, you know, PVC pipes, right? That's hard to rally around. That's hard to get super fired up about it. And I've asked the question in different forms a hundred times probably. And I usually get a similar kind of an answer. I'd love to know, like when you're working with organizations around storytelling, around kind of making that more visceral connection between what the organization does, what people do, and trying to create these opportunities or make people aware of the opportunities. Hey, what if our our company's not that sexy? It's not that exciting. We're not and look, Steve, how do you help the them tell that story? Of small businesses are thriving and not sexy industries are making sexy things, yeah. right? Um, I can, I think, articulate this in a couple of different ways, especially when I think about manufacturers. Which, by the way, I will share a few examples for the for the episode uh, on this one. Um, I'll take manufacturing. Mm-hmm. is a prime example because part of the reason why we we started there naively was that this was an industry that was very welcoming, very open and historically has long attracted the non-traditional talent. Okay. And you know, basically, you know, invented the world of continuous improvement, right? Like these are folks that train their 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 people uh to have long-term and and really thriving careers. Um, but they suffered from a major perception gap. They still do. So there isn't just a skills gap we're talking about, but it's a perceptions gap. And when I think about that question of, all right, well, well, how do you get, you know, the likes of the PVC pipe manufacturer inevitably gets back to the why in the mission and what does this serve? It's getting less to the, this is what we're going to do all day. And this is how you make the pipe and you're going to, Mm-hmm. You know, staying at your feet for eight hours a day. It's not about the what. It's going to have to do with the why. And more importantly, like, what does this help us achieve? What does this help us do? Right? Uh, this helps us have safe homes. This helps us, you know, thrive. This helps us run America. You know, you know, I think about our truckers and our logistics, right? Like mm-hmm. we would be nowhere without them in the pandemic, right? Like there's such kind of this higher level why, because everyone, like this is just like a human desire. We want to be part of something much bigger than ourselves. And the fact is when I walked into many of these manufacturing facilities who mind you, I mean, these are some of my big mentors and, and leaders that I still look up to. I don't just see a PV site business. I see a legacy. Mm-hmm. I see a legacy business. And what I love about these legacy businesses, they're not here to build a business to sell. They're here to build businesses to last. That is something that I can absolutely be proud of um, and get behind in part because I'm here to build a legacy business. Um, but that's what employees can be a part of too. They can be a part of a legacy of a second, third, fourth, fifth generation business. That's what manufacturing and some of these non-sexy businesses have been doing for a very, very, very long time before the sexy tech of Silicon Valley ever came up. (laughs) 
You know, I'm really glad you start with manufacturing because, and I've watched many of your videos over the years, especially on manufacturers who are, you're, you're sort of putting those pieces together to help them tell their stories. I, you know, I started my HR career in manufacturing as well, working with manpower. So um, when I think back, as you're talking, I'm thinking of my time at Nabisco or GE. And, you know, when you think about making a light bulb, all of the different aspects or packaging that light bulb, right, each person needed to know that they were doing something bigger that was important, right? We all need light bulbs. Um, and they were so proud. I remember when I got married, um, still very young, they gave me a huge box of every kind of light bulb you could imagine. And every employee was so proud of their role in creating what was going to help me start my life. And like that really stuck with me that this is not just about making a light bulb that's going to go out of GE and like never be thought of again, right? They really viewed their job as something like this is going to help this person, right, in their life. So I love the fact that you can sort of tell those stories. Could you maybe talk a little bit about organizations who might, maybe they're manufacturers, maybe they're healthcare, maybe they're, you know, other uh, professional services firms, finance, whatever. I think there's a big disconnect in being able to convey your culture, right? If you're not trained to convey that culture in a way where people can understand what their tie-in is right? Um, what are some of the ways that you've worked with your clients to kind of capture culture and convey that story through the films in a way that, that really does help make that connection? Yeah. So I'm going to say, you know, three things. One is, look, we're not change management. We also can't put lipstick on a pig. So I want to be very clear, right? That like, we, you know, it's interesting. We've had engagements where we kind of go through the process and this company realizes like, yo, time out. Like we can't do this video. We have way too much toxicity that's been coming up that we have to deal with. So I, I, I want to say that number one, that, you know, companies have to be ready to tell that story. And especially when it comes to employee storytelling and corporate storytelling of this kind in the workplace, you got to be ready for some real. And that's the fact, right? As much as this is about moving hearts, this is also just as much about being about hard work. It's not sunshine and rainbows here. So, so that's mm -hmm. number one. So it's part of, it's companies being courageous enough to recognize that when it comes to workplace storytelling, we got to be a bit upfront about that too. And it's not to say that that, that can't be visualized and captured in a way um, that's, you know, that's super negative. But there's a, there's some truth telling here that maybe we're not, you know, we're not going to get in Hollywood for someone who's creating a narrative. So, so that's important. Um, you know, what I'd also say is for any of these companies, there's kind of two ways that, you know, that you can, you know, really see culture. Um, it's when you can get someone to cry. It's when you can get someone to laugh, period, right? And, and I think about when I am producing a, 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 a video series for a company, look, we're, you know, getting a huge laundry list of it's 
got to reach this many views. We got to have these applicants, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Right. It's got to make impact and that's fine. Right. But in the moment of filming, that's holy ground. And what I have to do in 30 minutes with this person, this employee is to make them feel seen and heard and celebrated. That's, that's my goal. Because if I can make them feel seen and heard and celebrated, if I can make them cry, if I can make them laugh, if I can make them smile, if I can make them own their story of work, we've won. So that's part of it. There's certainly art and science to that. And that's something that we you know, certainly work with our clients to also help think about and do. Um, but that's also part of the, the magic of this. Um, now we certainly have a couple of kind of more new age strategies of, of how we're kind of helping folks think differently about that. But I'll, I'll certainly stop there because that's a bit of the kind of the big high level stuff. Thank you so much. Lena, I'd, I'd love to you to comment a little bit about, yeah, it's sort of finding that right balance, right? So we're talking about creating compelling video content, trying to reach people's hearts, right? Emotional appeal to some extent, right? We're talking about employees largely, it sounds like sharing their stories, uh, being very real. Uh, how much of also do you have to worry about or do you have to worry about Oh, and by the way, like the you know the the factory is in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. We're open from eight thirty to five, uh, and you get uh, you know we'll start you out at eighteen seventy five per hour. You know, like all those kind of nuts and bolts of what people are trying to find out about, right? When they're researching opportunities and, and the things that you know, what's that balance, or do you worry about that, uh, or do you have to worry about that? You know, Steve, my perspective has changed on that, and so has Skills Guts. You know, so when we started and we were working with young people, it was important that what we were doing was being as transparent as possible, both getting to a bit of the mission and also saying, okay, and we're going to start at this time. You're going to be on your feet for eight hours a day, right? And, and, and there's value in that. There are plenty of job posts that go into it and plenty of ads that go into that. I mean, there's also certainly you know, videos that do that too. But what I think what it's inevitably come down to for me, Trish and Steve, when it, when it comes to the stories that we know go viral, the stories that we know really move is because we're either getting candidates and employees, you know, to bring them to their knees or bring them onto their feet when it comes to this job and this opportunity it's still about winning hearts for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, of course, a balance. And this is where the medium of film does very well because we can mm-hmm. show it, right? Okay. I don't have to say you're on your feet for 10 hours a day and lifting 50 pounds. I can just go into a logistics facility showing lots of people carrying heavy boxes and standing on their feet a lot, right? So, so part of this, Steve, is I think that you know when it comes to film, that's why it's so great, because there's so many ways that you can tell that story, where sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be verbalized. Mm -hmm. One thing I like that you have shared throughout the years of videos that you and your colleagues at Skill Scout have created is when I look at them, I'm, 
I'm seeing you capture absolutely the, the skills of the job, right? That's critical. The reality of the job, right? Like you said, you're not there to put lipstick on a pig. You want to show what it really is. But one thing I think that organizations of all types have struggled with is showing and making people feel like they can belong in that company. And you might not even get that if you go and interview with two, three, five people, you still might not feel like, you might be like, well, I'm getting some information, but I don't, do I really belong here? It might depend on who you talk to. One thing I, I think about when I watch these videos is I feel like that's a little bit about what you're capturing is information that is multifaceted so that I can feel like, would I fit here? Would I belong here with, with the type of person I am? feel like a part of this thing that I'm being shown. Is that a consideration when you're working with these clients in, in trying to capture what Always. will help belonging? The end in mind yeah. is it's for the viewer, right? While, right. while our, our buyer, right, is yeah. this company that's hiring us to do this, our responsibility is to constantly asking, number one, who is the end viewer here? Mm-hmm. And asking the question, which the viewer is going to be asking is what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And here's the deal. And this is something that's continuously changing. And in, especially in today's world, we live in an attention economy. Mm-hmm. We live in an attention economy, right? And we need to create content that stands out from the rest. You know, I remember, and, and this this is kind of what how, how how shows you how the um, the industry has at least changed or is trying to catch up. Is you know almost a decade ago, I was still needing to convince HR about the value of video and how ads with video perform better and we retain sixty five percent of what we see in here versus what we read. Like, okay, if we're still talking about that, that is so two thousand late, mm-hmm. right? Like. Bye, right? Your kids are reflections of this, right? They're natives of this. They know it. And, and so this is what they're used to. So part of the question that we have to ask is how am I going to get a 16 year old to watch this and keep it interesting for them? They're the experts about what's going to be interesting. And so that that's part of it is that like, long gone are these conversations about like why video like if if we have to have that conversation we're probably not even the right agency for you because we're over here to try to get your stuff not only to go viral but hmm, maybe it could be a super bowl commercial right like that's where we're at because we're trying to get to highest visions highest eyeballs highest impacts so that brings up something in my head where I'm thinking about like, okay, you're right. There are so many businesses though that still, you would have to still have that conversation of why video, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you anticipate that there is going to be a jump, if you will, from like kind of those people who are still in maybe leadership positions who are closed off to this idea of using video to make these connections and to have people reached in a, in, I don't even say a different way, just in a way that's, that's modern versus like, I feel like people in college are like my daughter, she's in, you know, marketing and PR and journalism right now. She's this is their norm. This is what they're like. They expect this. Like, so is it going to jump when, when these kids are now coming into the workplace? Is there going to just be like, 
already jumped. Know, just a massive jump forward. Jumped. Already jumped. And you know, no one moves a late bloomer company than their competitors. Yeah. So, you know, all you have to do is take good stock at in any industry, including manufacturing and some of the non-sexy ones. Mm -hmm. They already have video. Right. And, you know, when, you know, when we're looking at the next generation of who our leaders are, Gen Z, right, coming in, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. And the fact is our technology is changing, you know, let alone our platforms, our attention spans, you know, the world of AI, which is completely transforming all of creative in every industry. You know, if anything, what we're learning, regardless if this is film or not, right, this is all industry, is that like, we got to be up to pace and we got to be okay with doing some early adoptions and taking some risks. Or uh, those that are leveraging the AIs and everything else in the world and doing it smartly uh, are just going to continue to thrive and get ahead. And in our case, attract and retain the best talent because the best talent, those A players, they also want to work with companies who not only have good values and ethics, but who are also like up to speed and on top of the fact that like right. we need some good technology and, and some good, you know, pass forward to, you know, you know, the path to, to efficiency here when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, Elena, thank you. I, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I felt like I needed it too. I've been swimming in AI nonsense for weeks and weeks and weeks for other projects I'm working on. And I appreciate the fact that we're talking not so much about technology. I mean, there's elements of technology here, right? Obviously, the the filming itself, the editing and the delivery systems, right, that you're using and the metrics and measurements for the success of these these video campaigns. And the, but, but we're really just talking about the human element, right? We're talking about connecting to people, connecting to a mission, telling stories, kind of. And that's yet to be uh, at least completely overtaken by AI. Um, Elena, do you think this is a good kind of uh, maybe just a general message to make sure we get back out there into our community who right now I feel like is consumed with chat GPT and let's make this, let's, let's flood the internet with this awful crap content, right? That's been recycled over and over again. I'd love for your thoughts on sort of more general thoughts on technology and how that's impacting some of this stuff. Look, I'll go back to the attention economy. I mean, or even better with my inner child, Ratatouille. Anyone can cook. <laughs> Anyone can make a video. Anyone can blog. Anyone can write a book. Okay. All right. Cool. And then there are those, right, that are like the Gauguins and the Monets and those that are just going to get so deeply within their craft right? And, and leverage technologies as needed to support, but are just going to just go after the craft. Um, and, and I think especially when it comes to our worlds, we can either walk this path when it comes to AI and fear or walk in this path still leaning with love and recognizing that, okay, this is the reality of our industry and our industries. Let's get smart about it. Let's understand how we can start getting quicker about some things that we know, because now it's just gonna be about timing, right? Um, what we're finding, and I'm just gonna take my industry for example, is 
you know, we still need absolute kind of wild creative and things that are going to make people move. Um, and what AI can do is help us create those creative treatments and create those visions faster to get them to a client for them to cry for them to laugh and say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, we're embracing it. I'd much rather embrace it than not and see how we can just be better artists, better creators, better storytellers, better impact makers by doing it and leading with our ethics. And I mean, and that's the big question, right? Is that like, yes, this can get in the hands of all kinds of people. Um, and I accept that that's going to happen. I also can't do anything about that. So I take a good Marcus Aurelius, like stoicism to this to say like, look, I can't control the things that happen, but I can certainly control what my reactions and emotions are to that and, and, and how I am going to approach this. Um, and that really goes to kind of the impact, which I know that we wanted to talk about here. You know, my job is my ministry. And I believe that business and small business can change the world. And we're more flexible and amenable than religious and government institutions. And then if we have any chance of entering the next era of humanity, the next era of positive humanity, it's because we have business leaders who are here to do good in this world and do good business. And I'm just here to be on the righteous side of that. I am so in awe of what you do and the way that you can articulate what we need, not just for a certain industry, but for all industries. Um, for all size businesses to be able to come forth and tell their stories, to be positive, to love this idea of not worry so much about what we can't change, right? It's what you can impact is where you should focus your time and energy. I'd love for you to tell us, what are you thinking about, right? Obviously, you know, we've kind of gone from longer storytelling, trying to get people even on board for storytelling to now short form storytelling. Like, what is it that that Elena is really excited about, passionate about in the coming few years? Is there a new direction, a new refined focus? What's, what's kind of on your mind to, to help the communities that you're not just serving, but leading, really? I'll take this from a more personal standpoint. Because, you know, we have a big, you know, revamp and launch of kind of all of our latest work coming out, um, which is super exciting. And, and I manifest, right, that I, I am building a business that merits Super Bowl commercials, right? That, that's where I want to get. I mean, I want to get to the highest levels of, of, of the craft and, and tell stories of highest good, right? So let's just assume, right, that's that's where I want to get to. And I'm, I am excited about that. And I've never been so excited about, you know, how we're building the business to get there. Um, but I'm going to take it back a little and, and really say two things. Um, one is every day without fail, this quote comes up for me and it's mother Teresa. And she says, if you want to change the world, you go home and love your family. And someone asked me a few years ago, right before the pandemic, am I a filmmaker artist or am I a business owner first? 
And I got kind of crunchy about <laughs> the, the, res- the question, the response. Cause like, well, you know, well, I want to be a creative, like that's sexy. Like, Hmm. Like, and then you go through something like the pandemic and you lose 50% of your business overnight mm-hmm. and you're crying in your pantry praying that I don't have to let anyone go or reduce salaries. And that's when you know I'm a business owner. Now I have my receipts to prove it. And I say that because in a world of HR, in a world of workplaces, as someone who is serving the HR industry, I feel it is my duty, it is my obligation, it is my responsibility to fail forward in my own workplace and to be a leader that leads with love and to see my business as a way that I can change the world and change the generational legacies of anyone who comes through it. That's why I do what I do. And I'm very proud to be a business owner first. So what am I excited about? I am excited about the ways that I will continue to ensure that my people feel safe and celebrated to do their best work. Because if they can feel safe and celebrated to do their best work, I will get to the Super Bowl. I thank you for sharing that very personal story. I think Steve and I will agree. We resonate with that as small business entrepreneurs ourselves, right? When your business dries up immediately, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, do you, looking back over those years, those pandemic years, those toughest years, do you think that without that, you would be as good as what you're going to be in these next few years without those lessons, even though they were difficult? Trish, the true medal of a leader, the true medal of a company comes out in crisis. Just like a good Lizzo song, why be great till you got to be great? That's right. And I just had to be great. And the fact is, Trish, there's a reason why not everyone business owns. That's right. This is one of the hardest things. This is tough on families. This is tough on marriages. This is tough on all things. Friendships. Right. All of it. Right. Right. You know, all all kinds of things. And I continue to have challenges all the time as early as this weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to get back to my why. Right. Like I am the impact that I always wanted to see and be in this world. It's going to get back to why I am doing this. Because I believe that small business can change the world and that I want to be the next generation of leader who's going to do good business and do good in this world. That's who I'm proving this for. And if I can do it for my company, Mm -hmm. AI attract other companies who want the magic and goodness of what we can do for their stories too. Because I take care of my own stories. That's what this is. I'm going first. My team is going first. My company is telling stories. We're going vulnerable, right? So that we can give permission for others to do it too. I think that the silver lining is this makes you a better, more empathetic, 
storyteller and this will elevate you is already elevating you and the type of partner you can be for the companies that you serve and for the communities you serve. I know that you do a lot. You mentioned, you know, in your bio that you work with women, you work with non-binary, you work with people that maybe don't have the ability to have that voice elevated and shared in the way that you have audience for. Could you talk a little bit about that and that part of your passion and how you bring that forth into the world for goodness? Yeah. Again, this, this goes back to, I am, you know, I, I built this business on HR and talent acquisition. How could I not also be a company and be a leader that gives a shit about ensuring that people belong? It, it it just it just comes down to like I can't be authentic with you as a client and, and to help you tell your stories of DEI and to help you tell your stories of belonging if I'm not pulling up the receipts for myself individually or in our organization. So that to me was just so clear coming into this industry that like I gotta I gotta prove my actions here, right? I gotta prove by my receipts, not by my, my not by my words. So that was number one, I think. And also to, you know, given where we came from, we came from the world of youth. We came from the world of disenfranchised youth. And so we recognized so early on how important that was and that that's where impact changed for me. Impact changed for me to recognize that I could be the company that could be a place um, for any and all kinds of talent. And that if I can put those are in the margins into the center of my strategy. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. Love that. And so Mezla Media Collective, you know, came out of that kind of desire to be that kind of employer, to be that kind of change. And what it has really turned out to be in the biggest blessing is something so much bigger than myself and my company and my hiring needs. It really ended up becoming a safe haven and a safe learning ground for primarily emerging filmmakers to let their hair down and fail forward together and and learn this industry, which is typically so unforgiving. Right. Uh, You know, we talk about, you know, I walked into manufacturing businesses, you know, our second, third, fourth generation businesses. And I don't see just what they do. I see, I smell legacy. And I can only pray and feel and, and, and feel blessed that Mezgla is part of my legacy too. Elena, thank you for sharing that. And it, the, the stories really resonate with us for a couple of reasons. Well, for me, I don't want to speak for Trish necessarily, but um, one is we have spent a, a huge portion of the last two, maybe three years on this podcast and, and others we do about trying to amplify voices of folks who don't often get heard and, and and have difficulty accessing opportunity for various reasons. It could be physical disabilities. It could be uh, emotional. It could be uh, learning disabilities. Uh, you name it, right? Formerly incarcerated individuals. We've done a few shows on that. And I think if any kind of thing resonates with me the most about what we do in terms of our legacy, it's that, right? Like, I'm going to remember, and I hope people remember the shows we've done with Special Olympics athletes 
way more so than the shows we've done over, you know, uh, software provider XYZ has released new technology ABC, right? And and so, right, we find, we're hopefully finding a good balance between that. So I really love that. And also, secondly, like, uh, you know, and, and I'm saying this from the heart, Paychex has been our sponsor on this show. You heard me read the Paychex ad at the beginning of the show. Paychex is, their legacy is helping those businesses, right, that you're talking about, many of them, Elaine, right, these legacy businesses, these small businesses, right, in communities all over the country, over 700,000 of them now that they help. And when we, throughout the pandemic years, we talked with them about things like paycheck protection loans and tax credit loans, and what can we do to help keep people, you know, you spoke so eloquently a few minutes ago, Elaine, about your struggles as a small business owner, about caring for and supporting your people through the pandemic and and I think about how much they did for their or tried to do right as best they can through what was just an awful few years. So uh, it's a great, it's a great, um, it ties in so well, you know, your stories and, and your experiences with what we're trying to do here. So I really appreciate that as well. So it's not really questions, just an observation, Trish and Elena. So thank you for letting me share it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think people, gravitate towards others who have maybe a different approach but but similar values of what's important work is important like you mentioned at the very top of the show elena it's like this is something that we all do and people really do for the most part take pride in what they do we spend so much time doing this whatever job that we have um, attached ourselves to it is a huge part of our identity it's a huge part of our family identity um we you talked about generational wealth. I think that, you know, what we are demonstrating for future generations in our families, whether that's your children or nieces, nephews, right, on down the line, whether it's a family friend that you're mentoring and showing and demonstrating how you show up in your in your job and um, with respect, with class, with a strong work ethic. I think these are some of the things that have not always been shown. Certainly not to my generation. I'm getting ready to turn 53. I was not shown some of these things growing up, right? I had my dad as my example, and that was kind of it. We've been keeping them from you, Trish. That's been a plan. I feel like it is. And so I think that's the difference. I I do feel like that's a huge generational benefit that has come with um, both the millennials and with Gen Z is that it's now a much more transparent, open look at the reality of work and the role that we play in work and the work that, and, and the role that work plays in us. It's that reciprocal relationship, right? So I don't know, I, I'm fascinated by what you've done, Elena, and also excited and, and a little like nervous and anxious to see like what's coming, right? I know, first of all, I know you, I know you're going to be having Super Bowl ads like let's zero go. Doubt, I know right? it zero doubt that's that's right what do we need a five you know million, the power of manifesting how much do we need I believe that. right like, I believe that like well, I'm putting it out I, there too Elena I've said for I think she will have one yeah, I think 100%. she will have one and I think Trish we're gonna have h3hr's logo on the hood of some of a NASCAR car before it's Is all that over your goal? That's, that's <laughs> mine. That's my Super Bowl, Elena. Thank you for the support. No, I goal. just. I do. I want that. I want it zooming around the track with our logo on it. I think like we're kind of. Ever. We're kind of laughing about this, Steve, but it's laughing? true. I believe 
in this manifestation of what we want to do. And I believe in being our best. Like, Elena, what you're doing, you're not just saying like, oh, I just want to be a filmmaker who makes some little stuff that might help some businesses. No, you've got like these big, meaningful goals. And I think it's it's also really interesting to watch how you put that out into the world and then how you make yourself available to such opportunities, right, to make these things happen. That's also a huge learning opportunity for people listening. Like, don't be shy. It's okay. Like, I'll give an example. Like, if you surround yourself by people that think like this, it's bound to happen, even if some of it's crazy and won't happen. But like, you mentioned like Monet. So I just started watercolor painting. Because I'm an empty nester now. So I need Empty nesting looks good on you, girl. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I don't know. It's stressful. I've got lots of gray hairs from it. But um, so I've calculated, I've spent about a hundred hours watercolor painting, which is not that much, right? When you think of the, I don't know if it's still actually a thing, but you know, 10,000 hours at least, right? To be able to do something like, well, but my goal is not just to paint a few pictures. My goal is to become a professional where I actually get paid for art. Now I am not an artist, but I am going to do my damnedest to like make this happen and I'm manifesting that. And I think that's what you, I guess my point is that if you're listening to this show, think, think big, right? Surround yourself with, with companies and people who think big, who dream big, and who go after it. And even if you, you mentioned earlier, if you fail, fail forward, right? You'll never know. You'll never succeed if you're not willing to take those big, big steps, right? I see that in you. It's just so clear. Do you feel that? Do you see that in yourself? Yeah. And I, and I will say this. It's not just only about thinking big. For me, Abby and I, quite frankly, have two very simple business development methods. We give more than we get and we grow with gratitude, Right. So what does that mean inevitably? It's like, I'm here to be like the hype woman for humanity. Like I'm so down for like Steve's dream of NASCAR and like your dream is artist and heck yeah. Right. And when I see it, even just the breadcrumbs, may I celebrate you and cheer you forward. Cause that's what we need. Like we just need cheerleaders. Our clients need cheerleaders. Yeah. Our candidates need cheerleaders. Like I'm here to create cheerleading visions. Like that, that, that's what this is, right? Like I'm here to create visual love letters that touch the human spirit and be a cheerleader while I do it. And, and so that's part of it. Like, I, I think that I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the hype people mm-hmm. around me. And it just goes, you know, with the saying of, Hey, when I, when I lift all boats, my boat gets exponentially raised too. Yeah. That's I love just, it. That's a very simple strategy. That's yeah. it. Elena, this has been so much fun. I'm really happy that we were able to talk to you today and see you and you look great and you look excited. I love your background, by the way, for folks listening on audio, maybe we'll, we'll have to post a little <laughs> bit of this video on Zoom. You've got that really cool... What's that guy's name, Elena? That the character in the oh, the Monopoly man, Monopoly, Monopoly guy. Yeah, yeah, those are yeah. the coolest things ever. So well done there, right? So yeah. uh, I love it. So Elena, for folks who want to find you, connect with you, learn more about Skill Scout, what Skill Scout? Where's the uh, best place we want to tell them to go? 
get at me at LinkedIn. I'd uh, love to connect with you. And, and certainly if you are exploring your own storytelling, get at me. I'll bring one of our creative directors to just have a brainstorm about what those possibilities can be before you. Um, and uh, we're in the middle of a, of a website relaunch. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited and, and eager to, to share that out in the world. So uh, you can, you can see really what we can do, but more importantly uh, for us to help build your visions. That's what this is. I don't, I don't, I don't sell videos. I sell visions. So let's build a vision together. Awesome. I love it. Elena, love thank it you too. so much, man. Great to see you. Hopefully get to see you out on the road here in the, in the fall. There's a lot of industry events happening. Uh, maybe we'll run into each other and uh, uh, talk about, uh, talk about this some more good stuff. So um, Trish, great stuff. I knew you were super excited before we started recording. And I, I'm glad uh, we were <laughs> able to do this today and uh, it was super fun. And I'll, I'll have to tell the story uh, someday about when I worked for, before there was video, uh, YouTube, I mean, there was video, but before there was YouTube and before there was all that, I think one of the best employer branding, I know we're talking about things that are bigger than that, videos I ever saw that was, I worked for AT&T and it was, um, there was an earthquake somewhere. I don't remember what it was. It was in a, not in the US and AT&T flew all these uh, technicians over to where the earthquake was to basically rebuild the the. Uh, connectivity for the phone infrastructure and they made a, a 10 minute video about about the project and it was incredible you i remember leaving watching that video thinking all right you're gonna charge i was in accounting for gosh sakes i was ready to charge through the wall you know for our company like what we were doing was so incredible i thought at the time right so uh it can be really really powerful stuff uh for sure right and uh and i still remember that video today right 30 years later probably it is you were a part of something bigger you felt a part of something yeah, bigger definitely right. definitely good Absolutely. stuff all right we got we to gotta let Elena go. We got to let her get back to serving her I communities and serving her customers <laughs> and serving her people, which she does so well. So Elena Valentine from Skill Scout Films, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Trish, Steed, thank you. Uh, great to see you. And uh, we'll you see well. you soon. We're going to be back out on the road this week. And oh uh, thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course, who are, who are there for their clients in a major way, small, medium-sized businesses. And can we fantastic add to you, Steve? Paychecks also, you told a really good story about them. I just want to make mention, they not only did that for their clients, they did that for non-clients as well. They, they provide yeah. so many free resources and they continue to for small and mid-sized businesses, especially. So, And I hope someone in marketing or in talent branding at Paychecks has been telling those stories because if not Paychecks, I'm coming <laughs> for not. you. I we love talk. Those make, are the stories paycheck should be telling. I want to be part of something bigger. Right. I want to be a connection. customer. We're going to make the connection bigger. then. We want to make the connection because they're really, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take uh, a partnership with a sponsor that we didn't wholeheartedly believe in what they're doing. And it is about the people. And, and, so. and, one, and wonderful yeah. people there as well. The people that we work with at Paychex are just fantastic people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll end here for for Elena Valentine, for Trish Steed. My name's Steve Bose. Thank you so much for listening. All the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. We will see you next time. And bye for now.